All right. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Dementia in Black and White. I'm your host, Matthew Johnson. And this week, we're going to hear from a caregiver, someone who is out there on the journey themselves, who's willing to sit down with us and share their story. We're going to talk to Angela. So sit back, relax, and let's hear another caregiver's journey as they are on the road of caring for a loved one with dementia. All right, so thank you folks for tuning in uh, this week. So this is going to be a different uh, type of podcast. We're going to actually interview someone today. And I want to let you all know, those of you who are listeners out there, those of you who might be on the journey as well, if you are interested in sharing your story, it would be greatly appreciated. And you can do so by letting us know here at Dementia in Black and White. Send an email. The email is dballer, D-I-B-A-W, the acronym for dementia in black and white, then L-E-R. So dballer at Gmail. Dot com dballer at gmail.com. If you are interested in sharing your story, we would appreciate hearing from you. The more the merrier. And I believe you're going to learn something today because this is a journey that's different from mine, which you're going to hear today. So it is going to be good to share with Angela and hear from her. So let us bring in Angela, welcome to Dementia in Black and White, and thank you for agreeing to sit down with us for a few minutes. The it's a pleasure. All right. All right. The first thing I want to do, because the reason that we are both on common ground is that we happen to be caring for a loved one with dementia. And so because sometimes that person we talk about them as far as the disease. We talk about them, you know, as, you know, doing the work. But I want to make sure we recognize that this person is a person. And so I want you to start by telling me about your mom. And then we're going to have you talk about you and introduce yourself. So start by telling us about your mom. OK, my mom is a retired school teacher, um, the mother of four children. Um, she is a widow. She's been retired for over 30 years. And for the first several years of her retirement, she and my father, they were both retired. Um, and they had the companionship of one another for many years um, until he became ill and then succumbed to cancer. Mm. Um my mother actually never spent a long period of time as an adult until my father passed away, having to be independent. Uh, she grew up, she went to high, from high school, she went to college. Um, and so even in college at that time in Bloomington, she was a student at IU. Uh, black women weren't allowed to live on campus when she mm -hmm. was a freshman. So as a 17 year old going to college, she had to figure it out because her parents didn't even have more than grade school education. Um, but she did, she figured it out. She roomed 
in someone's home. There were Black families that lived in Bloomington who um, ensured that there were places for students to live and for them to have food. And so she lived in one home and then there was another boarding home where she got meals um, and for you know, a meager amount, but a lot back then for her. Um, she would get breakfast and dinner every day. Uh, pretty repetitive, um, but it was food. It nourished her. Um, after college, she and a girlfriend decided to go teach in Kansas City. And she quickly realized that teaching the, well, I guess it was probably junior high back then was the term, wasn't for her. So her girlfriend stayed out there and she moved home. And again, in Kansas City, she boarded in the home of a married couple. And when she returned home, she lived with her mother and her stepfather. Um, she went from that home to being a married woman. And mm -hmm. so for over 40 years, um, she and my father were together raising the four of us. Um, and so when my father passed away, she suddenly had to be independent mm. um, for the first time in her life. And it was interesting and actually kind of rewarding to see that. I was blessed to be in my hometown uh, during this transitional period for my mom and uh, see her do things that she had never had to do before. She was uh, very proud one day to show me that she had replaced one of the kitchen tiles on the floor. <laughs> All you right. know, something very simple. Right. Uh, but it was something that my father would have done that. My father took care of the mechanical things in the house and he took care of everything outside. My mother cooked and cleaned and taught us to do the same. Mm. Um, and so a very traditional upbringing. Um, my mother also um, experienced a lot of, uh, let's say, challenges growing up. She did not always live with her mother. Um, for part of her upbringing, she was being raised by a great aunt. Not a great aunt, my great aunt, her aunt. Mm -hmm. um, for many years. And then from the time she was probably a preteen on is when she uh, went to live with her mother. So there were some challenges there. Um, but I was able to see my mother as a daughter taking care of her mother. And so a lot of the lessons that I learned growing up, uh, both from my father and from my mother, I learned by watching uh, they didn't necessarily sit us down and lecture us. Um, a lot of times it was just the conversation across the kitchen table at dinner time um, that I learned uh, many things. And one of the things that I did learn is that it's important to take care of those who took care of you. Um, and so I appreciate the model that she uh, gave me to follow. Um, I didn't expect at um, what to me felt like a young age to be dealing with dementia, um, but that is uh, the path that we're on and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That is wonderful to hear you just talk about your mother and I can see 
the joy in your face as you retell uh, or tell at least me that that story. So it's important that we center this conversation there. And I like the fact that you also shared about how you saw her take care of her mother. And then it was just natural for you then to step into that role, seeing that example. And I know that seems like in some cultures that happens more than others where I know in Asian cultures, for example, the parents, and it's not even because they get sick or anything. They just come and live in the home and help raise the grandkids and all of that. It's just part of the culture. And so thank you for sharing that. So now tell us about you, Angela. Give us a little little background about who you are. What do you do? I am the youngest child, um, and I have lived in our hometown except for college years my entire life. Uh, I am an engineer by profession. Um, I am a wife. I am a mother. Um, I'm a grandmother, in fact. I have um, nieces and a nephew that I've had the pleasure of pouring into, and they're now adults. Um, currently, my brother has is back at home, and so that's been a blessing because he returned about a year before my mom's diagnosis. And so the ability to have someone else who was invested, and that's not to say that extended family isn't invested, It's just that there is a different level of investment typically among the immediate family. Yeah, there's a saying it takes a village to raise a child. I would say something similar would apply here. And everybody has different and varying roles. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I did go through a period actually after my father passed away where I sort of resented Um, just to be frank, the responsibility of being the one child at home. And I wasn't in the same home with my mother, um, but I lived about five minutes away. If she had a problem, it was convenient for me to go um, and help her out. And at the time, you know, for day-to-day issues, it was all on me. And so I did go through a period of time uh, and that I was also single. I went through that period of time where I I was sort of resentful, where I did um, feel like my siblings were not stepping up to the plate as I would have liked. Um, But I was able to realize that we all, again, as you said, we have different roles and it really is a blessing to be a caregiver if you have the right perspective and you understand that it's a work that you can't do in your own strength. I can't do this in my own strength. Mm -hmm. I am empowered by the Lord who um, gives me strength every day. All right. Yeah, absolutely. That's another part of the village, your spiritual help and spiritual guidance. So that is uh, good. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being frank about feeling um, the resentfulness or, you know, and that definitely happens because other folks are on the journey as well and might not be at the same place as where we are. And so we have to allow them space to grow and and get there in terms of uh, maybe 
enhancing their role if that if that need to be the case. So we've talked about the fact that your mother uh, had dementia, but how long ago did you find out and how did that news affect you? Was it something that you had kind of seen some signs or was it more of kind of a surprise? I was surprised. Um, I, I think there had probably been signs for many years that I dismissed um, as just she's getting older. Um, she does have a history of some mental health challenges. And so I looked at certain things from time to time and said, well, that's just mom. Mm. Um, the year before she was diagnosed, um, her behavior was erratic from time to time. And what was different this time than when she had had crises in the past is they recurred multiple times within a year. And what year are we talking about? How long ago was this? This was 10 years ago. Okay. And so in the past, um, she would have a crisis. Um, It would last for a few weeks and then she'd be on the road to recovery and then she'd be fine for years. Um, and, And so the thing that was alarming was I was seeing things in her character that reminded me of past crises, but I had never seen anything that recurred with that frequency. Mm. Um, So I really thought maybe there's something going on. Maybe her medication needs to be adjusted, Mm. Um, but she didn't want to go to the doctor. Mm. And so I had to, um, kind of uh, twist her arm or trick her, depends on how you want to view it, Mm. into going to the doctor. And ultimately, I chose to have her go to a geriatric doctor for a consultation. So for a geriatric consultation, um, and I wasn't expecting this diagnosis. I was expecting them to say, yes, it's something going on with her meds. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. And so at that point, she was still living alone, correct? She was living alone at the beginning of that one-year period. My brother then moved in with her. Okay. Um, and so during that period of time, I think even just his presence physically it was a change. And so as you're aware, um, anyone dealing with dementia, when there is a change in routine, um, that can be a trigger. Yes. So um, he was in the home at the time and I was not quite, I was no longer five minutes away, but I was still in town as I am now. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so based on our pre-interview, I know that you had eventually decided to have your mom uh, into a place into a memory care facility. Can you talk about what either led up to that decision and what process that you employed in terms of actually getting that done? Okay. It was actually a multi-year process. Okay. Um, After she was diagnosed, um, I immediately began 
looking at what are the options because you don't know whether someone is going to progress quickly or progress slowly. Um, you don't know how capable someone will be in their own home. Um, my mother is fiercely independent in terms of her spirit. Um, she doesn't want to admit that she needs help. And so she's not the type of person who would have readily accepted having a personal care assistant come into her home. Um, and so some of the things that work for other families to extend the period of time that someone's at home, um, I knew just based on my mother's personality, those things would not work. Um, I also knew that I did not want to place her in a facility prematurely. Mm. Um, and so initially I was looking at assisted living because I really thought that that would, would have been appropriate. And as I've talked to, I've talked to people at various facilities because I've kind of scoured our side of town looking for places um, a lot of people who are in assisted living have already been diagnosed with dementia, but they're at earlier stages where um, it's manageable. And really the key is, or one key is whether or not someone is a risk at, of wandering. Um, another is whether that person is a potential harm to themselves or doing things like cooking, cleaning, things like that, as you're aware, um, whether or not assisted living makes more sense than a memory care facility. So um, I talked to my mom and she was having nothing for it because to her, everything is a nursing home. Yeah. And um, in her experience, um, the aunt who raised her, for instance, passed away in a nursing home, and it wasn't a nice one. It, um, mm. Just driving past that corner, and the home is gone now, um, I remember the smell. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. you know, I mean, no one wants to put their loved one in a situation like that. Right. Um, and no one wants to be in a situation like that, but that was um, what she saw when she thought about nursing homes. And so she wanted no part of that. And again, at the time she was still able to cook without burning food. Most of the time she was still able to clean the home without being confused about kitchen and bathroom chemicals so she wasn't a harm to herself. Mm. Um, and again, my brother was there in the home with her. Um, so she was not alone 24 hours a day. Mm. So she remained in the home for four years after diagnosis. Okay. Um, had she been more willing to pursue assisted living sooner, then I would have been inclined to have moved her to assisted living. And maybe, I don't know if she would still be in assisted living now, um, but she probably would not have 
had to transition to memory care when she did. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason I chose memory care for my mother is because in typically in an assisted living situation, they have a lot of autonomy and there are outings that are not as well supervised for people who are um, better able to care for themselves. And in my interactions with my mother over the time before we moved her to the facility, I knew that my mother was easily confused in situations outside of her home. And it was very troubling to me. Um, If I took my mother to the grocery store, um, you know, she wanted to be able to do it for herself. And so I would kind of hang back or I would look at her list and go get some things. It might take her 10 minutes to pick out one jar of peanut butter. And that was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it came time for me to go get the car and pull it up so that she could get in, that was a period of high stress, both for her and for me. And so I, I knew that the autonomy that she would have in an assisted living facility Mm-hmm. Um, she was no longer able to manage that. Right. And that going into a new environment where, uh, of course, it's a change and it's an unwelcome change um, could also be a trigger that could accelerate things. So I made the hard decision. Um, I did consult with my siblings, um, but, you know, this is what's necessary at this time. And so... Um, I think my sisters, probably more so than my brother, because they weren't there um, on a daily basis. Um, And for me, I wasn't there on a daily basis either, but I was seeing her a couple of times a week at least. Um, We're more in denial, but now is the time to move her. But I had to do what was in my mother's best interest. Mm. Got you. And so... Back when you got the diagnosis, did you at that point become her power of attorney or was that closer to this decision making time? It was all, all of that happened that summer and it required some talking to my mother and reminding her of the fact that she was a caregiver to my grandmother. Now, she never had an official power of attorney written up or anything like that, mm-hmm. um, but you know, just to add my name to her account. My father's name was on his mother's account as she grew older. My mother's name was on her mother's account as she grew older. You know, I don't need your money, mom. I just want to make sure that the bills are being paid on time. And when I see that you're no longer doing it properly, then I will already be able to step in. Um, And she wasn't happy about it, but she consented. Mm. Um, And at the same time, uh, we had the discussion about power of attorney, and she did consent to that. Again, not necessarily happy about it, but she did consent and um, accompanied me and my sister to the bank to have it all signed and notarized. Mm. And so... um, It is important to get documents in order as soon as possible. Um, There were many documents that weren't in order 
Um, so we did not have a health directive necessarily. Mm. So there are certain health decisions that are important to get in place as well. Um, but financial management is not something that people with dementia are able to do well. And their abilities decrease as the disease progresses. So um, addressing the finances as quickly as possible. And again, I did not immediately step in and take over, but I was able to monitor because I could log into her account and see what was going on and see, hmm, now might be a good time for us to have a discussion. Now might be a good time for me to say, hey, mom, why don't I start doing this? And again, it was a process. Yeah. She didn't just say, sure, you can take over my finances. Yeah, I want to acknowledge that because I know I have things that I've done and just mentioning that it sounds like it was a short conversation. Okay, I'm going to now even take you to the doctor or something like that. There's a lot that's involved with that. And so I know when you say, you know, went down to get onto the bank account and you did the power of attorney, that that was probably weeks of conversation and back and forth. It wasn't just a, oh, okay, let's go down and do it. So thank you, though, for sharing that, because those are things that people need to hear and understand. And so that when you are early on getting a diagnosis that you immediately start to think about healthcare directives and finances. And the fact that you said the finances is an issue, I think that is probably one of the earlier signs that might become clear when bills are late or things are overpaid. Those are signs to pay attention to that something is amiss, something is going on. And so that's, I think, a good nugget for folks to take away and then decide. And I like how you say you didn't just immediately step in and take over, but you were just monitoring, kind of hovering over, going online, looking at the account. And that's the type of thing that needs to happen. So keeping the person's independence and even your story about the grocery store, even though it took her 10 minutes to go get an item to let her do that, because to the extent we can, we want to have them keep exercising those muscles and memory muscles and doing things, keeping them active and all of that. Okay. So let's go ahead and get to when the actual move happened then and talk about that. Cause I imagine too, that was not just a walk in the park. Not at all. Um, so again, I began the search for a facility um, shortly after the diagnosis um, and it was uh, rather frustrating because dementia care is very expensive. And um, because not only is it expensive, um, the cost doesn't equate to quality care. Um, so you can spend the same amount and be in a horrible place mm. as being in a good place. Um, and looking at her finances, um, I did not know how it would be possible for her to pay for it. And um, unless you're wealthy, which I'm not, (laughs) um, it's not something that you can take on as the caregiver. Um, Dementia care, as I think you were mentioning, starts at about 4,000 a month. Yeah. And it can easily go much higher than that. Um, depending on the facility. 
Um, so that was also something that kind of kept me, you know, well, let's continue working on her finances to try to get bills paid off so that she doesn't have debt when the time comes. Um, because all of her income will actually be going to her care. But all of her income um, still would not have been enough to receive the care at a quality facility. And so the decision was made. Um, we've got to move. We've got to move now. Um, I found a place that I liked and I said, you know, mom doesn't have the money right now. Um, I do understand that she might qualify for a special pension from the VA as a survivor um, since my father served in the Korean War. Um, but I know that that process of approval takes many months. And they said, um, based on the things that you've shared with me, we believe that she will qualify. And what we will do is we will reduce her uh, rent um, until that gets qualified, until she qualifies for the program. And because they will pay you retroactively, then we will establish a schedule for you to pay the back rent. All right. And so that was how I was able to first get her into assisted, well, memory care, actually. Um, the other thing that was a concern to me is, again, no one really wants to be in a facility anyway. And we definitely don't want to have to share a room with someone who um, may have different behavioral challenges, may have different hygiene practices. Um, so I, I, if at all possible, I did not want to settle for a facility where my mother had a roommate. Mm. And so this facility, um, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it was um, just God's grace. They had um, what they considered to be an apartment for a married couple mm. um, that had um, a small living room, two bedrooms, and a bath. But they couldn't find a married couple wow. to rent that space. Okay. And so um, my mother moved into one bedroom. So she did have to share a bath, but she at least had a door that separated her from her roommate. Um, sharing the bathroom, not so great, but she did still have some sense of autonomy. And so um, given that and the fact that they were willing to accommodate her financial needs at the time, um, I knew that that was a place that had been prepared for her. And it was less than 15 minutes away from my home, less than 10 minutes away from the home I grew up in, which is where my brother was living on the same side of town as many of our extended family members and some of my mother's friends. So she was well positioned to have visits uh, whenever people wanted to visit her. And that was another consideration. I wouldn't have wanted to find the perfect place 
um, for all of these other reasons, if it was going to be a burden for people to come by and visit, or even a burden for myself, because if it's difficult, it's not that I'm unwilling to do that, but then I still have my own family um, that I need to care for. I need to ensure that um, I care for not just my mom, but my husband and my children. So balancing all of that is something that a lot of times people find themselves right in the middle. Um, I believe the term is the sandwich generation where you're dealing with children and aging parents all at the same time. Yeah. So a lot of factors that go into that. So that I appreciate you sharing that. I'm not in that position um, yet of having to look for a memory care facility, but I like you, I think would appreciate a single room, though I know those cost more than if you do have the double occupancy, but there are certainly a lot of things and a lot of factors to consider. Well, I know that uh, the next part of the story is interesting because you get that, you get her settled there, and then you have to move her from that facility to another facility. And I know that as we care for someone with dementia, we know change is just usually much more difficult than change for someone who's not. Uh, does not have dementia. So talk a little bit about that, having to change from one memory care facility to another. All right. Well, folks, we're going to stop it right there and call that part one, part one of an interview with Angela, a caregiver on the journey And we'll pick it up from this point next week. And you'll want to tune in because, of course, we just heard of the trials and the time that was spent to get mom into a memory care. And now next week, we're going to hear about why in the world did we then have to transfer mom to another facility? what was involved in the reason for that and what was involved in the process of doing that. But you're only going to hear about that if you come back next week to the next episode of Dementia in Black and White. Thank you for tuning in this week. I appreciate you. We got a lot of options out there for podcasts. Thank you for choosing this one. And as I always say, and it's because it's important and worth repeating that, You should definitely, definitely spend that time and energy to take care of your loved one, but also, and more importantly, take care of yourself. I'm out.